0: Okay, this is our sixth and final study in this brief but powerful letter written by Jude to the followers of Jesus in the first century church. Uh, His beginning challenge, uh, you may remember, is to earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered to us once for all. That is with certainty and finality. That's the way Jude began his little book. And he's going to end with some really tremendous... Uh, thoughts and teachings as well. Earnestly battle for the truth, Jude said, because false teachers have snuck into the churches quietly and secretly, and and they are spreading their false teachings. We've called these teachers apostates. The word apostasy comes from the Greek word apostasia, which is translated falling away. In 2 Thessalonians 2 3. The word is closely related to the Greek word for divorce, which is simply a breaking away. If you apostatize, you break away, you officially renounce a previous relationship. Apostates are those who fall away from the true faith, abandoning what they formerly professed to believe. An apostate is not someone who drifts spiritually and becomes cold in their walk with the Lord. Uh, The term apostate describes someone whose beliefs have moved them outside the teaching of Scripture, especially as it relates to the doctrine of Christ. Based on what Judas said, these false teachers have pretended to be followers of Jesus, and that's how they're able to sneak into the fellowships of true believers. And so we have labeled them apostate. True followers of Jesus, truly born-again, regenerated people, they do not fall into apostasy. Those who fall into apostasy demonstrate that their faith was never really real to begin with. The great verse there, 1 John 2, 19, John wrote, he said, "...they went out from us so that it would be revealed that they were never really of us." And so when a person totally rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and totally rejects the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, they weren't saved and they lost it. They're just proving that they never truly had salvation to begin with. And we'll see that truth confirmed again today as Jude closes his letter. And as we think about Jude's challenge, actually his command to contend for the faith, there's one very important question that we need to consider, and that's how? What, what does contending for the faith look like? Uh, the warning of this letter is quite obvious, and it requires a response. Uh, God's Word, our inspired Scripture, is never intended to just provide us with information. The aim of Scripture is transformation, and, and we see that in nearly every New Testament letter doctrinal teaching followed by practical lessons for living in other words the apostles and the bible writers especially in the new testament they they would give a body of doctrinal teaching and then because this is true how should i be living you see the process of sanctification that we refer to quite often is not a process of just gaining more information it's learning for living it is growing in knowledge so we can learn to please the lord in our actions and attitudes and words so so jude is not writing this letter just to inform us about false teachers so we can watch out for them and hide he's writing so we can live to please the lord in dark days he's writing so we can engage false doctrine with truthful teaching and holy living So in his last few lines in this letter, he gives us a kind of a plan of attack, so to speak, a spiritual survival plan for standing up for Jesus in days of apostasy. We're going to call this a four-step plan of action or or a four-step strategy for surviving and thriving in dark days when apostasy is becoming common. And I'll give you the four, the four steps and then we'll kind of unpack it and give them to you again as we work our way through the text. Be mindful, be focused, be reaching out, and be confident our four-step strategy for surviving in days of apostasy, be mindful, be focused, be reaching out, be confident, and then we'll unpack that and expand it as we go through the text. We're going to start to read today in verse 17, Jude 17, and then we're going to go through the end of the book. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Last week we spoke about verse 17. We want to pick up there again today. We just looked and made a few points on verse 17. But this thought of being mindful, this first part of our plan. Jude says, remember the teachings of the apostles. Now people use the term apostle to describe some people today. And there is a non-technical use of the word a few times in the New Testament. The Greek word, that translated apostle, apostolos, simply means a sent one, or one who is sent. So, so anyone who is sent out with the message of Christ could use the term. But to avoid theological con- con- confusion, we avoid using the term that way, because Jesus selected specifically twelve men to be his apostles. His sent ones representing him and his message. Judas Iscariot, of course, was a fake. Jesus knew it, but nobody else did. And after Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord Jesus and then committed suicide, the disciples selected another disciple, another apostle to take his place. We, we see that story in Acts chapter one. There are prophetic reasons why there needed to be 12 apostles, and the remaining 11 apostles of the Lord Jesus understood that, so they selected a replacement in Acts chapter 1. And they specifically said that the one that they selected had to be a witness with them of the resurrection. So the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that, phrase that Jude uses here, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had to have not only been around during his earthly ministry, but they had to have seen Jesus Christ alive after his resurrection. Therefore, there's nobody alive today who can legitimately call himself an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ in any official sense. When the Apostle John died around 95 AD, that was the end of the era of the Apostles of the Lord Jesus. And we're not going to run a long rabbit trail regarding the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul said he received a special commission from the Lord to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. There were those who questioned his apostolic authority because he wasn't one of the twelve. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 11 and 12, he said he exercised the signs of an apostle just as clearly as any other apostle, but he calls himself the least of the apostles. And he did see the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, we know from Acts chapter 9. Paul said, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, that he was the last person to see the resurrected Christ. So although the Apostle Paul was not part of the Twelve, he was a legitimate Apostle with apostolic authority, and he was the last one to be so commissioned by the Lord himself. And it's this group of men that Jude is referring to when he says, Remember the words spoken before by the Apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. These men heard Jesus teach They saw him alive after his resurrection. They told us what to expect, Jude says. They explained to us the commands of the Lord Jesus himself. So Jude says, be mindful of what they taught us. Now today, we have the teachings of the apostles. It's called the New Testament. Every book in our New Testament was either written by an apostle or sanctioned by one, approved by one, and verified by early church leaders. So the words of the apostles that Jude is referring to is our New Testament that we have today. And the first strategy for surviving in in apostate times is be mindful, remember apostolic teaching, in other words, study the New Testament. The second strategy is to be focused. And I mean to be focused spiritually. Jude briefly gives us four areas of focus in verse 20. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There are four four areas of focus he gives us in that verse. The first one is this. Build yourself up. In other words, work on your spiritual life. He says, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Work on your spiritual life. Students of Greek grammar tell us this is a present active participle, which means simply keep doing it. And you keep doing it. Don't sit back passively and think that spiritual growth will just kind of rub off on you somehow because deep down in your heart you love Jesus and so spiritual growth will just kind of happen naturally. That's not the way it works. Jude says you build yourself up. You work on your spiritual life. And, and we, we work on it by building on the foundation of the faith. Not some mystical feeling of belief that people think they have faith, but on the faith, the body of truth that God has given to us. The truth about Jesus revealed to us in the word of god our focus must be developing our knowledge and understanding of the scriptures then we can recognize false doctrine so jude says be focused build yourself up work on your spiritual life learn the new testament be be faithful in your reading of the word of god be faithful in your attendance to at church be be faithful to listen to the scriptures Build yourself up. Take responsibility for building up your spiritual life. That's your first focus. The second area of focus is prayer. He says pray in the Holy Spirit. Nothing mystical going on here. It, it, it's simply praying in submission to the will of God. You Remember a few weeks ago we, we defined a truth as anything that is consistent with the will of God and the character of God. Okay, the Holy Spirit is God. So when we are praying in the Holy Spirit, we are praying for things that are consistent with the will of God. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us, that as He goes before God on our behalf for us. He intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray, or when we don't know what to ask for. So our prayer life should reflect an understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. So not only build yourself up working on your spiritual life, but improve your prayer life. Pray more. Pray longer. Pray often. Pray for people. Pray in the Holy Spirit. That is, pray for the things that you know God wants you to do. Pray that God will help you to be what you know He wants you to be. Pray for other people. Those, those same things. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Then the third area of focus Jude gives us is keep yourself in the love of God. He says, build yourself up, pray in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. We might explain this in this way. Remain in the circle of God's blessing through obedience. That's what I believe Jude is referring to when he says, keep yourself in the love of God. Stay in that circle of God's blessing through obedience. Uh, we, We base that explanation on Jesus' own words to his disciples. I won't have you turn there, but 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 if you're writing down some scriptures, write this one down. John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. The Lord Jesus Christ says this to his disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And then this is the kicker. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love so how do we keep ourselves in the love of god we do what he says to do we obey him we work at living an obedient life we battle sin in our hearts we strive to live a holy life in the eyes of the lord we resist activities and relationships that we know are not pleasing to the lord if you keep my commandments, Jesus says, you will abide in my love. And so, and so Jude is just echoing the words of the Lord Jesus: Keep yourselves in the love of God. Obey Him. Do what He says, because Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, then you'll be abiding in my love. Then the fourth area of uh, of of uh, the fourth area of focus of be, being focused is looking toward eternity. That last phrase of verse 20, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're looking toward eternity. The word translated looking for means to wait with anticipation or to look forward to. You see, we are to live our lives with eternity in mind. Don't get so wrapped up in this world that we forget where we're headed. Don't get so don't, don't forget that, that we're living for the next life, not just for this one. This life is six or seven or eight or nine decades. The next life is forever. We have often talked about the old Southern gospel song, "This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through." Great theology there. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. But you know, there's a lot of followers of Jesus who feel very much at home in this world. Jude says, don't do it. He said, look toward eternity. Looking forward, he says, look ahead. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Don't get so wrapped up in this world, Jude says, that you forget where you're headed. So be focused on spiritual growth, on prayer, on obedience, on eternity. That that is a fabulous strategy to resist apostasy and contend for the faith. Focus your life on spiritual growth and prayer and obedience and, and eternity. Then the third strategy is to be reaching out. In verses 22 and 23, there are some textual variations in verses 22 and 23 that make it a little harder to translate. If you aren't familiar with what I mean by textual variations, it's simply that since the Greek texts of the New Testament were all copied by hand, there are some minor variations of wording and spelling in some verses. Nothing major. Nothing that obscures anything doctrinal, but there are a few variants, as they're called. They only appear in about 2% of the New Testament text. And if you can imagine guys writing with a quill pen, dipping in a little bottle of ink and, and writing by candlelight and comparing two scrolls and, and, and making a copy of one by hand, in the dark, in the night, by, by, by candlelight, it's amazing that there's only variance in 2% of the text. But God preserved His Word, and, uh, and, and we again, there's nothing major, nothing doctrinal, but this verse, these two verses, verses 22 and 23, are, are, are one of the places where some of those textual variations occur. Now, I won't bore you in a public sermon with all the details of texts and translational philosophy. I'd be happy to discuss it with you in another setting. But I want to unpack these verses this way. Jude is saying, I believe that in our relationships with people who are victims of false teaching, there are two approaches to take. If the person is doubting true theology, then have compassion on them. In other words, if they are just struggling with what's correct and what's false, and they have legitimate questions, that's what the phrase means to be making distinctions or doubting or, or trying to make differences, he said there's some people, there are examining different people in different churches and different teachers and different, different kinds of the teachings and truth, and they're trying to figure out what's right, and they got a lot of questions, and they're struggling, and they're doubting. Jude says, show compassion to them. Don't just write them off. Show them compassion and try to persuade them and bring them back to true and correct theology. They haven't reached a firm conclusion about salvation through Christ, and they might be brought to the truth with some compassionate help. But then there are others, he says, that are so deeply steeped in false doctrine that you have to reach out to them with great caution. That's what he means by others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Some people are so deeply steeped in false doctrine that you've got to reach out to them with great caution. In fact, the word fear there is not the word that means reverence and honor. It's the, it's, it's the Greek word phobos, from which we get our English word phobia. And he says, some people, he said, you've got to treat what they believe with a phobia. I know some of you have a phobia to spiders. Some of you may have a phobia to snakes. Some of you may have a phobia to something else. Uh, but what Jude is saying here? Have a phobia against false doctrine. Look at that. And go. Oh, oh, oh. If you have a phobia towards spiders, what do you do when you see one crawling across the wall? Better yet, what do you do when you see one crawling across the ceiling above your head? If you have a phobia towards spiders, I know what you'll do. Jude, Jude says, "Have a phobia about false doctrine." Other people, he says. Pull them out of the fire, but, 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 but he said, save them with fear. In other words, have a phobia about, about what they believe. You know if they stay on the road that they're on, rejecting the truth about Jesus, they are headed for eternal fire. But, but you be very careful that they don't drag you into their false teaching. If they are thoroughly convinced, they'll be hard to rescue. You have have to have a phobia about the false teaching they've come to to believe even while you're trying to pull them out of the fire. And then Jude uses a very graphic word picture. We don't see it as clearly in the the English language, but that last phrase of verse 22, or 23 rather, it says, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The word garment used there is used two different ways in the New Testament. It is used both of the tunic the lightweight cloth worn next to the skin under the robe in, the, in those days. And also, it's used to describe what we may call the loincloth. Uh, so, Jude was, what Jude is saying is that false doctrine is as distasteful as soiled underwear, the defiled undergarment. <laughs> So he said, as you're trying to pull people out of the fire of apostate teaching, be as careful as you would be cleaning up someone's soiled underclothing. Don't let it touch you. Teach the truth. Live the truth. Speak the truth. Don't give up on people who are struggling with questions, but have a phobia about false doctrine. Still try to rescue them. Be reaching out. But don't let the false doctrine get to you. Then the fourth strategy. You know, as the world of professing Christians drifts further and further from the truth, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, some of the surveys I've quoted to you, this fourth strategy is be confident. And Jude is not saying be confident in yourself or in your knowledge of the Bible or your understanding of theology. He is saying, be confident in God for three reasons. These last two verses actually are the the high point, the climax, the kind of the, the mountaintop of Jude's letter. It's often called a doxology, these last verses 24 and 25, called a doxology. That word simply means a word of praise and honor and glory. comes from two Greek words. The first one is doxa, which means glory and honor. The other one is logos, which means the word or the expression. So you put them together, doxology, and you've got the word of praise, the word of honor, the word of glory. There are several doxologies in the New Testament. This one stands as one of the most lovely, one of the most uplifting of all of them. Let's read it again, verse 24 and 25. If you're going to memorize something from the book of Jude, these are great, great verses to memorize. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. We can earnestly contend for the faith because we have confidence in God for three reasons. The first one is this. God will preserve us. He says in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The word able there means, it means ability. It comes from, it comes from a, a word that means inherent power. God has the inherent power to keep us. That's a military term. He says to keep us from stumbling. To keep us, a military term, means to stand guard. To, he is able to keep us from falling. He has the power, the inherent power to stand guard over us so that we will not stumble. If you truly know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are safe in his hands. You are preserved because of the ability of God. He is able to preserve you and he promised that he would. He is standing guard over you. You see if it were up to us, (coughs) if it were up to us to maintain our salvation, we would surely lose it. We struggle with sin all the time in thought and attitude, if not in action. We we would surely forfeit our righteous standing with God over and over and over again. But God will preserve us by His power. And I want to show you two scripture verses. One of them you're probably quite familiar with. We've looked at it before. It's in John chapter 10. Gospel of John chapter 10. They just tell us again that God will preserve us. By his power. John chapter 10. If you don't recognize the reference, you'll recognize the verses as soon as we begin to read them. And the verses we're going to read are verse 27 through verse 30. John 10, verses 27 to verse 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is Jesus speaking and i give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand i and my father are one, excuse me are one no human being is strong enough to overcome divine power And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And nobody can pull them out of my Father's hand. Great, great passage. That's what Jude is echoing. Unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling. He has the power, the ability to keep us, to guard over us, so that we will not fall into apostasy. If we truly know Christ as our Savior... God has the power and will exercise that power to, to keep us. He will preserve us as John said, or as, as the gospel of John records for us. Then another great verse I want you to see is in First Peter in chapter 1. First Peter in chapter 1. You know, if anybody had to worry about keeping his salvation, it might have been Peter, huh? Some of the crazy, off-the-wall things he said and did along the way. And then right at Jesus' crucifixion, he denies him three times. Famous story. Everybody who's been around church for a while knows that. And yet, you know what? Peter was not worried about losing his salvation. Look at what he writes in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ... Who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, meaning he's borned us again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not a dead hope, not a partial hope, it's a living hope, it's alive, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, and then look at this phrase, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That is such a fabulous, fabulous passage of Scripture. Not as familiar as the passage in John 10, but a wonderful, wonderful encouragement for us that God will preserve us. God has, has rebirthed us to this living hope through the resurrection of Christ Our inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled, and it doesn't fade, and it's reserved in heaven for us. And Peter says we're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. And it's going to be revealed to us in the end when we get to heaven. So Jude is simply echoing the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the words of the apostle Peter, when he says God will preserve us unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling he will preserve us the second reason why we can have confidence in god is because god will present us he says he's going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy now for sinners to stand in the presence of god that would produce absolute sheer terror even great men of God like Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Peter, James, and John, when they saw even just a glimpse of the glory and majesty of God, they nearly fainted and fell on their faces, overwhelmed by the glory of God and a sense of their sin. You may remember some of those verses we looked at in the book of Daniel. When, when the angel of the Lord came to Daniel, he fell on his face. When God appeared to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, Woe is me, I am finished, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. When the Lord Jesus Christ calmed the sea and Peter was in the boat, Peter fell on his knees before him and said, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Even great men of God throughout the scripture, when they saw a glimpse of the glory and majesty of God, They were overwhelmed by his glory and overwhelmed by a sense of their sin. So for us to stand in the presence of God, we have to be faultless. We have to be pure. We have to be holy. We have to be righteous or we will never stand in the presence of God. And in Jesus Christ, we are pure and holy and righteous. And so Jude can very easily say... He is not only able to keep us from stumbling, but He will present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. We will stand in the presence of God with no fear, with no terror because of Jesus Christ. You know the verse, I quoted it to you probably hundreds of times, Romans 8 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to look, if you would, at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, another great passage of Scripture that deals uh, with our forgiveness. Psalm 103. It's a great psalm. I would encourage you, if you haven't read Psalm 103 for a while, read the whole psalm sometime. We're not going to take the time to read the whole psalm. I just want you to look at just a couple of uh, uh, verses here. We're going to start to read in verse 8. We're going to go to verse 14, but read the whole psalm sometime. It's, it, it's fabulous. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with, sit with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, hallelujah for that, nor punished us according to our iniquities, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And we could read more and more of it there. It's a fabulous, fabulous psalm. But, but the psalmist King David here writing, saying, Hey, God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we fail. He knows that we do stupid things. He knows that we're mortal. He knows that our life is temporary. He knows all that. But he said, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And in that wonderful word picture, I've talked about it with you before in years gone by. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And I think I've said to you, I'm so thankful that God did not inspire David to write as far as the north is from the south. Because that's that's a distance that you can measure. If you left Montana and you headed north... You'd go north, 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 north until you got to the North Pole. And once you got to the North Pole, every direction you went would be south. Because you're on the North Pole. If you followed south, 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 went all the way to the South Pole, every direction you went from there would be north. You can measure the distance from north to south. It's from the North Pole to the South Pole. But you know, if I started heading west, I could go west forever. I just keep going around the world and around the world and around the world. around. The world. I never start going east. I just keep going west. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Wow. You see, God presents us in the presence of his glory with great joy. We won't take the time to read the verse today, but Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19 says God is going to take our sins and throw them into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7, right down near the end of the little book, verses 18 and 19. He's going to throw our sins into the depths of the sea, into the deepest part of the sea. One preacher many years ago said, God takes my sins, throws them into the depths of the sea, and then he sticks a sign out there that says, no fishing. He's never going to dig them back up again because he has separated them from us as far as the east is from the west. So when Jude says God is not only able to keep us from stumbling, he is going to present us before him in the presence of his glory with great joy. No terror because of coming judgment, only joy because of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So as we face dark days, and as we face these issues of apostasy all around us, we can be confident because we know God will preserve us, God will present us, and in the last reason, God alone is worthy. He says in verse 25, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. All of our confidence is rooted in the character of God. Salvation and wisdom and glory and majesty and dominion simply means dominating power. The word power means ruling authority. It all belongs to him. He will preserve us. He will present us. And we have absolute confidence because of the character of God. Let me quote Charles Spurgeon again this week he preached a I preached a message in January of 1874 this is just one little portion of it he said when i heard it said that the lord would keep his people right to the end that christ had said my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me and i give them eternal life and they will never perish neither shall anyone pluck them out of his hand i must confess that my soul that uh, that 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 doctrine of the preservation of the saints was a bait that my soul could not resist it was sort of like a life insurance an insurance on my character an insurance of my soul an insurance of my eternal destiny i knew that i could not keep myself but if christ promised to keep me then i would be safe forever And I longed and prayed to find Christ because I knew that if I found him, he would not just give me a temporary worthless salvation, such as some preach, but he would give me eternal life, which could never be lost. The living and incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever for no one and nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you recognize that verse from Romans chapter eight. So what is our survival strategy for apostate times? Be mindful. Remember the teachings of the apostles. Be focused on spiritual growth, on prayer, on obedience, and on eternity. Be reaching out. Have a phobia about false doctrine. But don't give up on people who are struggling with questions. And be confident in God, because He alone is worthy. Let's pray. What a joy it has been, Lord, to study through this little book of Jude. What a fabulous man of God he was. An incredible uh, teaching that he has given, warning us, earnestly contend for the faith. And Lord, we are able to do that because of who you are, not because of who we are. I thank you, Lord, for the great promise of Scripture. You are able to keep us from stumbling. You will preserve us And you will present us before the throne of God one day faultless, sinless, pure and holy because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Lord, you alone are worthy to receive our our praise and our honor and our worship. And may we, Father, be dedicated to you. May 2022 be such a wonderful spiritual year in our lives. May we, Lord, see victories won and people come to Christ. Lord, I pray for those who we love who need the Lord. I pray that they will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps even this year through our testimony. Lord, those who need to walk more closely with you, need to need to have their, their spiritual life revived and renewed, we pray that we can be an instrument in their lives to be used in your hands to help accomplish that with them as well. Thank you, Father, for who you are. You alone are worthy. May we live each day in light of your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.